Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, how are you, sir? I am confused, Tommy. Just when I think I've understood how things can change, they change even more. So I stay confused. I really had this show all mapped out that we were going to talk about basketball. The NBA draft is tonight. Not only is FSU going to have two lottery picks, but the first two players chosen from any ACC school tonight are going to be Florida State Seminoles. I mean, this is our moment to take the football frustration of the last few years and kick back as a Seminole community and just eat some popcorn and watch Patrick Williams come off the board, Devin Vassell come off the board. But no, we have to talk about the quarterback situation again. It just well, we, didn't go away. We were going to talk about it going forward, but the conversation was going to be, okay, if Travis is healthy, which one of the two do you play? Well, that got answered for us, didn't it? So by now, if you're listening to this show, uh, you're not hiding under a rock. You already would be aware of this news. But Chubba Purdy, after improving as the game went on against NC State and showing some promise in the second half, Turns out had some complications related to his collarbone surgery from earlier this year. And I guess they had to remove some hardware now rather than after the season. But the Cliffs notes is he is now shut down for the remainder of the fall. And so count out the quarterbacks with me now on this roster, Keith. Jordan Travis. One. Tate Rodemaker. Two. That's all she is. That's all she's got, right? That's all she wrote. Can Rector play? Well, I mean, we joke, but so Rector was at quarterback. He's been at tight end. You have the options like a Travis Jay, who is trying to get comfortable on the defensive side of the ball, but was a high school quarterback two years ago. You have the, can I go back to James Blackman and ask him just to be a warm body on the sideline in case? I don't really know what your options are because Jordan Travis has not proven that he's going to stay healthy for three games. You made the point before we came on the air. I want you to get complete and total credit for this. 
But the first three years, well, the entire career, rather, entire career of James Blackman, we were concerned, worried, off the chart about he's going to get hurt. He's so slender. He's so slight. Oh, gosh, he's got to gain some weight. And of all the quarterbacks we've had the last three, four years, name the one quarterback that hasn't been hurt. You get all the credit for that one. Well, I think he missed one game last year with a knee and Hornibrook started. But the point was, he started his career, and this was with images of DeAndre Francois flattened like a pancake, and everybody just thought that James Blackman would never make it two games in a row, maybe even two quarters, and that really wasn't the issue with James. But here we go down the road, and Jordan Travis has gotten hurt. I don't know that Tate Rodemaker's been hurt. He missed some time because he was sick. Now Chubba Purdy. I think, Keith, you, you sort of reap what you sow. And so there's reasons that Florida State is at the level it's at right now. And we can point fingers any which way to one coaching staff, to another coaching staff, to the players, to all that. But when you get this news, at some point you have to step back and say, what in the world, what football gods did Florida State offend or did Mike Norvell offend that he just can't catch a break? It certainly speaks to, and I've had this conversation with my clients. I've had this conversation with my friends uh, as it relates to certain situations all of us have encountered with our families. And we've, we've just used, well, it's 2020. You know, whatever can go wrong is likely to go wrong. And whatever is completely unthought of <coughs> might raise its ugly head. And I've been, I've been involved in Florida State Athletics since 1977. I don't ever remember a time when a student athlete in any sport had to shut down because there were complications of the prior surgery and you had to remove hardware, which is what we think was what we, at least what I think happened with uh, Chuba. Have you ever heard of that? I mean, I know that happens. I'm not saying that that's unusual, but I've never seen it happen to a Florida State student athlete. And that just goes and speaks to it's just 2020. Yeah, I'd have to, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd have to stop and think hard about that. You know, it, nothing comes to mind offhand, but it is, it's just one of those things. I mean, so if you think about this weekend, obviously another option at quarterback, but not one who's going to throw the ball is Jay Sean Corbin in the Wildcat. But I'm pretty sure when Clemson sees Jay Sean Corbin getting the Wildcat this weekend, they're, they're going to be able to defend that. Well, that doesn't mean Jay Sean can't throw the football. It just means you may not trust him to throw the football. But I hear you. I yeah. hear you. So I, I, don't, I don't know what you do. Um, trying to turn this a little more uh, serious instead of flabbergasted, if that's the word for what we are upon receiving this news. If you're Mike Norvell and Kenny Dillingham, you don't have time for woe is me. You've just got to – I mean, this is – it's always next man up. That's the refrain in football. Uh, you're running out of men to be up, but you literally have to get out there and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And I, And the other part of it is you can't change your offense because if you change your offense, now you're asking 10 other people to change to do the one thing that – fill in the blanket quarterback can do. I think, I think the hope is that Travis is healthy enough to go. 
Tate's available as you did in protecting Chuba against NC State. You run some more of the Wildcat. But certainly that doesn't bode well for Florida State's chances of being successful on offense. I mean, it's almost like I had someone text me earlier um, Wednesday today, Wednesday morning. Someone texted me and said, what are the rules if Florida State requests a running clock? You know, like we do in the second half of spring right. games and things like that. I mean, I think that's to the extreme, but the reality is – you're just going to have to make do, and goodness knows, uh, doing it against you know what is perceived as one of the top teams in the country is, is not the right timing for it. I don't want to make light of it. You know, the headlines guys, Corey Clark in particular, has been begging for a COVID outbreak to get this game off the schedule, right? But in another sign of 2020, Keith, it would appear that Florida State might be one of the only schools in the country that's going to go through and play its full schedule. <laughs> this is working it, out. It, wouldn't that be the ironic part of it? And then you had X number of people get hurt and Y number of people leave and <laughs> a Z number of people have unusual types of situations, but yet you were in control of the virus. Uh, again, welcome to 2020. Can we go back to basketball and point out that Leonard Hamilton's going to have two lottery picks tonight? Uh, let's point out the fact that they're going to open at home the Friday after Thanksgiving, where they are 62 and three over the last four years. Um, two lottery picks. I, I didn't see this, but the more I read and hear is that Trent Forrest may end up being drafted. You know, the, the kind of the consensus on Trent at the conclusion of the season was that he certainly would be picked up by somebody in the NBA, but maybe, maybe not a draft pick because again, those of our listeners that might not be as familiar, the NBA only has two rounds. I mean, there's only, what, 60, 62, 64, whatever the number of teams time two is that get picked in the draft. And everyone knowing that Devin and Patrick were most likely lottery picks, but, but according to sources, Trent has kind of eased his way into that second round consideration. It's off the charts. It's absolutely off the charts. And relative Patrick- to what Leonard's put together. And Patrick Williams, now we'll see how the chips fall, but uh, he, he could go as high. I, I think there's even a projection that has him fourth. I've which, seen fifth. I've, I know I've seen fifth, but maybe fourth as well. You're correct. I, I might be making up fourth, but I feel like I've seen that. And the highest pick in Florida State history was Dave Cowens, who went fourth overall. So even if he doesn't get to fourth, if he goes fifth, He's the second highest pick in Florida State history ahead of Jonathan Isaac. Agreed. And, and uh, we all, I mean, we've seen what Patrick Williams is, but that's a remarkable rise. I mean, uh, but yeah, they're, they're, he's projected, you know, as high as five, Devin Vassell, you know, maybe as high as eight, but more likely 10. But I mean, it's going to be the highest tandem of players Florida State's ever had go in the first and, round. And most, most likely someone will trade up to get one of them. So it will be an absolute conscious move, not just picking who's still left on the board by some NBA team. Anyway, congratulations to Leonard Hamilton. It would be great if Trent Forrest went. I could see him going in the same way that Terrence Mann got picked last year. Uh, Not so much that you would draft a kid on body of work, but when you dig deeper and you learn more about him, you say, you know what, there's actually something here. And Trent has that something. Keith, I have a suggestion since we really don't, you know, want to talk too much about football. I'm listening. Why don't we talk about baseball next segment with Mike Martin Jr.? 
I will uh, I will say that is probably the best idea you've had in 2020. <laughs> it probably is. Meet joins us next. We'll wrap up fall ball. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. We welcome an old friend of the program and Mike Martin Jr., uh, Meet, we, we teed this up well. We said we're so tired of talking about football. The only logical thing to do is talk about baseball. And so you uh, you got you got the phone call. How are you doing? You doing okay? Yeah, everything's good, Tom. Thanks for asking. We're um, kind of in the books and bodies mode now. Uh, fall ball's over. Just making sure they're getting strong and um, taking care of business in the classroom. Really broad question to start this conversation, Meet, but but – how was fall ball? I mean, I think you had a much bigger roster than normal. I'm sure you had different protocols. I don't know if that changed how you practiced to some degree, but just a general assessment of uh, of what you thought of fall ball. Well, I think we got as much done as we possibly could. Um, you know, obviously it wasn't uh, the way we wanted it to be. The, the biggest issues, I mean, we're an outdoor, obviously, and so that some of the you know, protocols aren't as bad for us. Um, but we could only have, you know, eight guys in the cage at a time. They all had to be distanced, masked up anytime you got near somebody. So if a runner got at first base, the first baseman, you know, if he's holding him on, he'd have to put his mask up and same with the base runner. So um, things like that, showering, you know, after we only certain amount in the clubhouse at the time, they had to stagger. But, you know, all in all, we, we, we didn't have any positive tests for uh, – three weeks. So I was proud of our guys. Meet, we've talked with the, the basketball staff and, and going back to the, to the March through August timeframe, you know, baseball, a little bit like basketball. There are some things you can work on individually. Uh, take us back just by way of reference about uh, how the kids, when they finally showed up for ball ball, what shape were they in? Were they in? What were they able to do? And were you pleased with what they were able to accomplish over the summer getting ready? The, the big thing, Keith, was making sure their arms were ready to go. That's generally, you know, in our sport, what goes bad is, you know, arm issues. So um, that side, we were good. The physical shape, it was pathetic. Um, you know, we tried to tell, get out and get moving and go for jogs and sprints and make sure you're in great shape. And, you know, that first day was the, the usual. They're all running fast, but they got gassed really quick and, uh, and, of course, they're run the wrong way as well. Meet broad statement here, but uh, it, it's just an indication that I'm not as closely in tune with your program as uh, certainly I once was when I was involved calling the games. But it seems like the thumbnail takeaway is that you got a lot of power arms. And I'm not talking about the signing class yet. I'm just talking about what you had out there this fall. Uh, and that Reese Albert had a, had a good fall. But, I mean, I, that's, that's very high level, and I'm probably selling about 82 bullet points short. So, so what else were the takeaways from this fall for you? Well, again, it was, it's the same as last year. We've got to play infield defense. We really feel like we're going to pitch. Um, might be even better than last year's staff, to be quite honest. Some of these young pups have come in, and all they wanted was an opportunity to compete, and uh, they've really shown out. 
Uh, the, the arms that you saw in the Garnet and Gold game, there was four guys that are going to be doing a lot of heavy lifting in that pitching staff that didn't even throw. So, um, and they're mid nineties guys. So we, we've got a, a lot of different things that we can do from a pitching standpoint, but the focus was on the infield defense. We took tons and tons of ground balls. We put them in pressure situations. We, uh, the more times they get in those, you know, situations, uh, the better off they're going to be. So that was the focus. Reese did have a good fall. Um, you know, that shoulder, he didn't have a fall the previous year. So uh, that's why he was off to a slow start. But, you know, all in all, we got done what we needed to do. And we need to, you know, had to evaluate a lot. It was it was a situation where we scrimmaged just as much as we possibly could to, uh, to evaluate guys. Because with everybody getting another year, we've got a giant roster. Meet, I know for you individually, defense and base running and those types of fundamentals you learned uh, as you were a player and now as you're as a coach. But just talk a little bit about, quote, unquote, the arms race in baseball, i.e. going after those kids that can get in the upper 90s. Um, that just seems to be where everybody's going. How do, you, how do you recruit to that? How do you develop that? Well, I think the, the biggest thing, first of all, the, the Carson Montgomery's of the world, there's no reason for him to be in college. He, he should have, you know, he would have been a high draft pick um, because the pro guys are going to get the, the top, top power arms. There's, there's no getting around it. So then you turn to the development side, you know, you look at the body type and the arm swing and uh, the looseness of the hips. And there's a lot of things that we look at when we, when we're chasing arms, but uh, it's a heck of a lot harder to hit those guys than it is the, you know, the soft toss guys. I know there's, there's roles for them, but they have, they can't eat up the bulk of the innings. Those guys are going to come in and knock out a couple hitters, uh, and they're out of the ball game. So uh, it's been a, been a long time since we've had you know arms like we've got, and it's um, you know it makes for the hitters a little frustrating for them. But you know, all in all, they got to learn to hit it because everybody's got them. You're saying uh, you know Carson because the draft was short in five rounds. You know you benefited from that. You're going to get him for three years now. Correct. Yeah, and that's a good thing. He, he's special, Tom. He's a he's a guy that's wired the way you, we like him wired. Um, you know, some of those high profile guys, you know, have never been coached. Uh, the coaches uh, travel ball in high school; they're scared of them. They just kind of leave him alone. But you know, Carson is not that way. He's extremely coachable. And he's a great teammate, and it's a an electric arm. The flip side would be that lots of other programs, though kept guys or got guys that, that didn't get drafted for the same reason. So is this going to be a low offense, just lights out power pitching type 2021 when we get there? I think it's going to be literally like back in the fifties and sixties. There's more of the seventies. Nobody could hit in the seventies either, but um, because it is, you're, you're right, Tom, everybody's got them. And um, some did better than others, uh, but there are big time arms all over the place. So we're, we got to be multidimensional, be able to bunt, steal bases, do whatever we can to, um, you know, push runs across. Mike, I don't need to get into to the weeds about it, but uh, Tom mentioned the larger roster size and you had some kids that were able to take advantage of an extra year. Just in a macro sense, how difficult did it end up being trying to manage that roster or do you even know yet? Well, you, you got to wait for grades. Um, you know, some problems arise with grades, so – um, we're at 47. That's too many. Um, we're going to have to make some moves. Um, I'm sure some guys are going to see the writing on the wall and, and you know, and bounce to a junior college or uh, Division two or wherever it is that they want to go. Uh, and that's going to be happening all over the country. And um, 
you know, we've talked to a lot of schools and, you know, we're at 47, but we're, we're on the low end. There's some people with 58, 59, and I've even heard of 60. So it's, it's a different landscape and it's going to take a couple of years. That's something that we discussed on ACC coaches call yesterday that, you know, there, this is not going to be, you know, one year and kick everybody to the curb and then you're back to your 35 and, you know, man roster and 27 on scholarship. They're going to have to give us relief next year as well. Meet, what are the issues that you guys are talking about as coaches? I mean, scheduling, I'm sure, is one, roster size, all that. I mean, what are what are the things that are still up in the air as you're trying to plan for the start of your season? Literally, Tom, everything. Um, you know, we don't we don't have a schedule. Uh, there's conferences every now and again saying, okay, we're going conference only. There's some that are saying we don't know. Some are saying everything's status quo. Um, we just called everybody on the schedule and just said, look, we don't, we don't know anything. Uh, the SEC, we've gotten word of they're going to wait until January. Uh, but if you wait until January, how in the world are you going to be getting flights, you know, with a, less than a month after you're playing ball? So um, we're, we've got a big meeting coming up in early December, and I think our conference is going to start pulling the trigger on some things and, um, you know, just deciding what we're going to do. I mean, they say that, uh, you know, uh, when you have to do something, that's when you become more creative. Personally, I thought one of the greatest ideas that has come out, I'd be interested, I, I think I know where you fit on it, but, you know, the concept of, of playing three or four team mini tournaments on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, that, that seems to have great appeal uh, for everybody. In a perfect world, yeah, Keith, that'd be great. I don't know that that's going to be allowed anymore, uh, you know, with the whole more people in the stadium and, and teams coming in contact with each other. And that's another thing we haven't discussed, like, okay, we're going to do the testing. Well, if we bring in a, you know, JU, who's paying for their test? You know, if we if they don't get tested and don't have the same protocols as the ACC, are we even going to be able to play them? So there's a, a ton of things that are – you know, wide open, but yeah, I love little, little round robins and tournaments and, you know, they're fun for everybody. Well, that's why the big 10 is talking about no non-conference games unless it's against another big 10 opponent, I guess, outside their conference schedule. Um, me this weekend, you know, it, it, it came out that the NCAA basketball is looking at a, a bubble for the entire tournament. Now that's a higher dollar tournament, but they're, you know, they're considering Indianapolis really for the whole month of March. Is there any talk about bubbling the baseball tournament? You know, I, I'm not suggesting Omaha for all of it, but even beyond it, if you lump the super regionals in or, or anything like that? I haven't heard any of that. Um, I mean, heck, we're just trying to figure out whether we're going to have an ACC <laughs> tournament. Yeah. I know that's still up in the air. There's a lot of coaches that say they don't want to do it. Let's just use that for a weekend of, okay, you know, we had COVID issues and we missed this series with this team and we'll play it that weekend. Um, so again, I, I haven't heard any of that, but I don't think, I don't think that's really, you know, I don't know how they could do it to be quite honest. I mean, again, with the playing each other, that's, that should be, you know, enough in regards to being outdoors. And, um, you know, I don't think we need to bubble necessarily. Yeah. Well, let's switch gears. I know uh, it's, I can, I can read the frustration on your face, Meet, because you've been doing this for months and it's like all of us dealing with this. There's still no clear cut answer. We, we'd all love clear cut answers and they're just not there. Um, yeah, we don't know anymore now, Tom. I swear that we knew in March, you know, we really don't. And, it, you know, we were talking off the air about, okay, well, contact tracing, is that really, you know, I don't know exactly how that works, but it doesn't seem to be effective. There's just so much stuff that 
it's frustrating. Yeah. Well, tell us about your signing class. It's a good group. It's an athletic group that uh, is versatile. Um, you know, especially that's what something else we didn't discuss that I should have gone more in depth. And it's, we were sitting here going, okay, if we do have COVID problems, what's going to happen here? Where are we going to go with this, you know, position? So we're, we really bounce guys around the infield and the outfield and uh, just trying to make them, you know, versatile to where if we do run into COVID issues, you know, we got to still win. So, um, but get back to the class, that class is, um, is top notch. We can, they can do a little bit of everything. We got power arms in there. We got athletic kids. Yes. We'll probably lose a couple of them. Um, I say that, but then again, we don't even know how long the draft's going to be. Are they going to have another short draft and we should be sitting pretty, but, uh, it's a really, really good group. That's, um, you know, they a lot of them played together too, you know, some USA stuff. That's always good when they know each other. Meet one of the things that was talked about is uh, again in the big picture is some fundraising, some changes, some additions to Hauser. Um, how I, I guess disappointing is a, a big word, but um, in, in terms of much needed things, everything on hold, anything moving forward. What are your thoughts on that? What are you hearing? No, everything's on hold. Uh, we're we're just in you know survival mode basically. We, we're we're worried about the here and the now, and um, you know making sure our guys are getting fed and, you know, being able to work out and that's all. And of course off the field and in the classroom, but um, we have, a, everything's on hold. You know, we just got to get through, we got to get basketball up and running the TV money coming in and um, you know, win and everything will be fine. And then of course the vaccine looks promising. Hey, meet uh, b- big picture with a guy, you know, well, and uh, who just coached his team to the, to the world series and Kevin cash. I, I'm curious not not to go back and, and second guess and or anything like that, but I mean, it, really, the question is about analytics, uh, you know, and relying on analytics. And I'm just curious for you. I know it's more and more a part of the college game too, but how do you balance the analytics versus the gut and the feel and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's um, at their level. Um, I don't want to disclose too much, but that's it's all predetermined they don't have a choice like you'll you'll get fired if you don't do because we have so much data they have more data than we do we're not at that level yet um you know and i haven't talked to kevin about it um but i i'm pretty dang sure my heart of hearts he was like i don't want to do this this guy's rolling and um you know snell was and i don't think he does that unless he's it's all predetermined and literally if you don't do it you're in big trouble and um you know, it's kind of similar to our Florida game. You know, we planned on Velez going. He had been up to, you know, 85 pitches or what have you. But we were just trying to get three or four, get off to a good start. But he was rolling, and we just said, hey, stay with him. And, um, you know, then went to domestic after that because we felt like, you know, stuff-wise was a little bit higher jump in velocity, still left-handed. We'd like to match up. So, you know, I, I do think that the gut – you know, the feel for how things are going and just what you see, the, the old baseball guys versus analytics, you got to be careful with that. And I think it, it showed there. And, and I, again, in my heart of hearts, I don't think Kevin wanted to do it. Well, that begs the question, where, where do you fall? I'm a combination. You know, um, I, I do think there's an awful lot of data that's extremely beneficial. Um, but, again, your eyes don't lie. If you've been in the game long enough, you know, just just – go with those eyes if you feel got a gut feeling stay with it and um you know i think it was 
Lasorda or somebody was talking about it and how he said he never managed this era because everything's predetermined. And then they got this – the percentages say he's got to come out at this time. But I remember at the time. Yeah, I rem- the, thing, the thing about it was Snell, when they look at those numbers, okay, when he gets into the fifth inning, he gets to a certain pitch count, this is what happens. Well, that's when he's 93-94. Well, he wasn't 93-94. You know, when they pulled him out, he was 95-98, just blowing people away. So, you know, I was shocked. I was like, oh, no, this this is not good. I was, I was sorry for interrupting. I just remember a time when we would uh, visit with your dad 10 years, 15 years ago, and, and we'd ask you if it was okay if we got the situational averages you know, who, who was batting what against a left-hander versus a right-hander, and he'd give the old evil eye. No, That's you're right. not getting that. You're not getting that. That's some private stuff. And now we got – everybody knows everything about everybody, so it's it's definitely changed. Yep. Hey, Meade, it's good to catch up. Hang in there. Uh, at some point, we'll actually have this in the rearview mirror, but uh, keep plugging along. That's all you can do. We'll do it, Tom. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. All right, Mike Mike Martin, Jr., Seminole Baseball Skipper. We'll take a break, come back, and uh, continue with more on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. I should have pointed out, I failed to, that uh, Mike Martin Jr., Join us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And that is how our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, joins us. Bob, good to see you. Uh, We fully intended to talk nothing but basketball and Leonard Hamilton and NBA draft and lottery and all that. But lo and behold, you had to text us and let us know that there was apparently more quarterback news on the football front. So, no, we disclosed this at the top. Obviously, just when you get Chubba Purdy and he plays a game and shows some improvement as the game wears on, then you get the news that he has to shut it down. And as Keith and I talked about in the first segment, it just feels like when in the world is Florida State or Norvell going to get a break on some front? It's been a rough, uh, rough going here with all the injuries between quarterback, receiver, offensive line, defensive tackle, uh, the secondary. It seems like all your all your really critical position groups have had some kind of major injury that's caused guys to miss time. And, and this is a tough one because you felt like Chubba Purdy really was developing in that second half was making some good decisions. And um, yeah, sure. You can say NC state had some backups in the game, but he, he looked more comfortable as that game progressed. And that was, I think a good positive for him. And, and then you, you hear the news today, um, you know, Coach Norvell announcing that he's going to have – he has had surgery to go back in to repair that collarbone. So the positive only there is that he'll be good to go in the spring, and that's going to help his development next spring. He won't miss too much significant time. But for the short term, for the next three games, you, you have to hope that, that Jordan Travis is good to go. And if not, you know, what, what's plan B? Is it Tate Rodemaker? Is it more Wildcat? What do you do at quarterback? So some some really significant questions with – with a top 
top team coming into Tallahassee. So that's, that's definitely less than ideal. Bob, we talked about, do you have any insight, uh, insider information? I mean, do you, do you reach back out to James Blackman and ask him to come back and join you for a little while? Or is that even a possibility? I think that's something that maybe they'll, they'll look at down the road. I'll, I'll be curious if Jordan Travis is available. I think this is fully the youth movement and coach Norvell wants to see, you know, what can Jordan do? Cause again, he's a red shirt sophomore, but still doesn't have, but a, a couple, what 150 maybe passes in college under his belt. You want to see what he can do. You want to see what Tate Rodemaker can do again, less than ideal circumstances, but it helps their development for whatever time you can get them in the offense. I'm, I'm not sure that these are long-term answers. Like, you know, what can Jay Sean Corbin show you in the wildcat for prolonged periods? We're all curious. We've all heard what Travis J did at Madison on both sides of the football. Can Travis J be a wrinkle that you bring in there on offense? I, I think these are, these are kind of curious things. And I think you want to explore those maybe before you go back to James and say, you know, would you be interested in coming back? I, I think you, you just kind of go all in, all chips on in on the table on the youth movement here. The hard part is all of that takes reps. It's all doable, but it takes reps, which takes practice time, and you're limited in how much of that you can do. So if you bring Travis J over, even for a package, 20 minutes of practice a day on that package is 20 minutes less that Jordan Travis is spending with the ones or however you shake it down. I mean, it's just not a great solution at this point. You've already started four quarterbacks this year, which on its own is remarkable. And and now not that you're going to have a new starter, but you just don't have bodies of depth. It's just, I, I don't know when you say when it just feels like the hits keep coming. Yeah, you're right. It's a tough situation because, you know, Travis has been fighting through his own injuries this year do you try to bring him over to offense? I know they do it at fullback. They've had DJ Lundy come over from linebacker. So it is the precedent there. Would, would Norvell want to try something like that? Um, ideally, you've tried something like that during the bye week. I know that's been, it's been a couple weeks now. So did they try it? Did they get a look at him? Did, did they say, yeah, I mean, this, this is something we can try. Or has it just been so hurried that, You've been trying to get the younger, regular quarterbacks ready to go, and, and you said, "Hey, we we just can't try something that, that's what as I mean. radical as this." Yeah, that, that's what I mean. If you're if you're to- toying with those ideas, you're you're limiting the time that Tate's getting, or that Chuba was getting, or that Jordan. It's not like Jordan's been a five year quarterback here and knows the system. He's needed it all. They they just haven't been able to win. I will say it would be cool on the depth chart to have a Jay Travis and a Travis Jay as one and two at the quarterback position, but. Anyway, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's where they're going. Do we think that Jordan Travis is available this week, though, and it's just he and Tate and, and the Wildcat to get FSU through? Is that what we're most likely to see? Yeah, Coach Norvell said that, that Jordan's been active this week. And, you know, to what degree, I think that's a big question mark because, as we've discussed, Coach Norvell doesn't really want to go into detail about, you know, injuries and reps and things like that. But he seems to be confident that, that Jordan is going to be a go and, and we'll see. I, I think he gives you your best chance on offense to build some drives, to, to move the ball up and down the field. We've seen the running game now. It just hasn't been um, at quite as productive since Jordan left, um, and that was at halftime of, of the pit game. 
So the running game is still, is still there. It's still valuable, but without Jordan's legs, without that threat to run with Devontae Love Taylor's injury, a lot of different things on offense. We just haven't seen click nearly as well. And, and oddly at NC state, it was, it was early in the game where, you know, things weren't clicking with all those, those six freshmen playing out there, but they did, they did get it. And it was moving late. I, I, I guess there are some encouraging signs, but that's the problem is we're, we're trying to find encouraging signs in a, in a two and six season when, when the games just haven't been close. And I think that's, what's, what's really tough for fans and, and for guys like us as observers. But how about this guys? Maybe this is the blessing. Yeah, we're frustrated at two and six, but when something like this happens, you just go, it just wasn't meant to be. Play the play the pups. Don't worry about the record. We we're not going to complain about the record. We're not going to fuss fuss about not going to a bowl game if we don't go, because it just wasn't meant to be. I think that's tough when you're talking about Florida State. If you were another lower level power five group of five. I think a lot of fans would say, yeah, you know, we got to see some football and it just, it just didn't play out. It's hard when the standard is what it is because of what Bobby Bowden and the national championships and all the great players created here. That's what makes it hard. I I think for fans to come to grips with it. I, on the bowl front, I, I think it's been a great conversation. I've been pushing for this, regardless of what Florida State's record is, they've got to get to a bowl because that is your next set of spring practices to help your development. But if you look at these bowl projections all around the country from the the major news outlets, Florida State's not there. Uh, I mean, two and six is, it's going to be really hard for somebody to be convinced that Florida State is is a worthy team. And that's even with the, the name brand and the ratings that go along with Florida State. So if anything, yeah, we, we know how Clemson's going to go. We know how this weekend's going to go. If they can show anything against Virginia and Duke, um, would would three and eight be enough? You'd think four and seven would be enough in the eyes to get some bowl games to, to extend that invite. Uh, Florida State needs that time on the practice field with those players who are bought in. It's the only way that this program's going to grow moving forward. I, I don't see it, though, Bob. I mean, I think there could be some appeal from a – you know, take the, the bowl game, whatever the sponsor is in St. Pete now, you know, I'm sure they'd like to draw a Florida state, but at the conference level, I just don't see the ACC green lighting a bowl to take Florida state over all the other ACC institutions that have more wins. I mean, they have parameters in place. I know the parameters kind of went out the window this year in terms of bowl eligibility. I just don't see it getting there. I mean, I'd love to be wrong on that. And I agree with your point about needing practice, the other argument would though would be just just finish the season, turn the page, move on, start anew. Yeah, and I, I get that. I think that's where a lot of fans and a lot of people are. With you know, just let's let's get through the last three weeks and and just move on with it. it but from a developmental standpoint, it, it doesn't help you. This is, you know, this is where Mike Norvell and the staff hasn't had the opportunity. Is is that on the field time with players? And frankly, unless the NCAA comes in at the last minute and says you can hold practices but not play a game, and we don't expect that's going to happen because because the bowl officials have said you can't create matchups, you can't create pseudo games. It's a bowl or it's or it's nothing. So from their standpoint, 
you, you can't just create something on the fly. But but this is the one thing that we've we've discussed for what eight nine months now that Florida State just hasn't had time on the field, and now you're going to take away that opportunity without a bowl. I, I'm in agreement. I don't really see it happening. It would really take a hail mary for for David Coburn and the ACC to come through with something here. But it unlikely. feels like it feels like they could make an adjustment to the spring practice schedule. And I don't know if that's been talked about, i.e. allow more than 15 days, uh, not just for, for teams that didn't have spring last year, but, but anybody that's quarantined, they missed two weeks of practice. You know, everybody's missed some time, but I don't know if that's something being talked about or not. And candidly, the way the COVID numbers go, who knows what's going to happen with spring practice this year. Yeah, who knows? It's a it's a big question mark. But I think if the coaches get together and as a collective association, which which they do, and they'll meet virtually this offseason, they're going to they're going to speak up and they're going to say, this is what we need. Um, and they're going to point to programs all across the country who have struggled. First year coaches who have struggled marquee programs that, that haven't played well. I, I think they have a, a perfectly good opportunity to speak up and say, we want this. We need this. Help us get better for 21 because that's the only way it's going to happen is if you give us whatever it is, an extra week, an extra two weeks. Yes, it's going to cost money through through COVID testing if, if you're doing that three times a week still in, in March and April. But it may be necessary just for the long term for, for a lot of these programs. Yeah, but two things, guys. Number one, come March or April, we're going to have a vaccine. So that's going to change that equation. Second of all, on the downside, if Florida State does not go to a bowl, then the kids are not allowed back on campus after Thanksgiving. So they'll play that last game, and you're going to go five or six weeks during a time when you don't get a lot of work done, but you're going to go five or six weeks with kids back at home and not anywhere near, and then come back in the first week or second week of January and try to pick back up. I I just think whether it's expanded spring practice – given the fact that we should have a vaccine by then or allowing allowing five days or seven days of workouts during the winter time, you know, if you're not in a bowl game. I mean, I just think somebody's got to come up with something that allows this coaching staff to have some more time with the team and not just meetings via Zoom and asking these kids to work out on their own. Yeah, I think you make a good argument. You know, could you could you start in February instead? I think historically everybody, uh, maybe with the exception of Duke, everybody seems to start spring practice. You know, in in March, early March, mid March. I, I think there are there are conversations to be had about how to look at the calendar and, and say this is just extraordinarily different circumstances. Um, you know, hopefully we have a vaccine and, and everybody's in good shape to go and and all that, but. I, I do think Norville and a lot of coaches will look at the opportunities ahead and, and say, this is what we need. And, and who knows, who knows what it is. I think they'll talk about that after the season because right now they're in game week mode and just trying to get through it, but, but they got to figure out long-term what's the best option. Well, we're going to give Tom Block the credit because what they're going to do in 2021 is they're going to allow, let's say 20 days of spring practice and then they're going to allow you to play a real live game against an opponent. And Tom will get everything he's wanted for the last five years as regards what happens in the spring. Well, now, you know, 
I know it's been political season, Keith. You can you can stay a co-signer on that bill we've been trying to move forward for several years now. I'm a, I'm a co-signer. I'm just giving you credit. Okay. Uh, just letting you know. Well, I, I unfortunately, while I would love to see that, you know, we just talked to Mike Martin Jr., and they wouldn't even let him play fall ball against anybody else this fall. So I don't know that this will be the year that they'll let that happen in spring. I could see some relaxing of the 15 days or allowing something more. Because you're right, the whole dynamic of being home and and not, you know, conditioning on your own. Let me tell you how my conditioning on my own goes when there's not somebody yelling at me. Not very well, right? And I'd like to think, uh, unfortunately, that's probably true for for a lot of student athletes, too, even though many are great self-starters. I don't know. Hey, a technical question here, Bob. I've, you know, in trying to keep up, I've confused myself. So I know this is a mulligan year for, for everybody. Let's just use Chubba Purdy, even though it won't ultimately matter with him. So next year he comes back, he's a freshman. Can he redshirt if if he got hurt again and then be a redshirt freshman in two years? That's the way this whole thing's working? Yeah, I mean, this is yeah. this is the Wild West when it comes down to roster management of 85 scholarship positions. You're going to have potentially seniors who want to come back. You're going to have freshmen who are freshmen again. It's it's really going to be difficult, and I'm not hearing enough conversations unless I'm just not paying attention at the national level about do you come up with some kind of exemption for going beyond 85 scholarships? These are big questions, and how do you fund them? Boosters are going to have to fund them at, at a number of schools across the country. Can all the schools also afford those extra scholarship dollars if you can go beyond 85? So some big considerations, it impacts recruiting. It impacts how you look at JUCO recruiting, the transfer portal, um, guys even making NFL draft decisions. You're, everything is just going to become so much more complex here. Um, I, I don't envy coaches who have to look at that roster and, and move pieces around, but it's a, it's a big offseason storyline for college football. Yeah, it certainly is. All right, is there anything uplifting you'd like to leave us with, Bob? Leonard Hamilton anecdotes? NBA draft nuggets, soccer championship tidbits. Yeah, it's it's been a pretty good week, right? For uh, for Florida Athletics, a, a big soccer title on Sunday against North Carolina. We are officially one week to uh, basketball season with Florida State women tipping off against Florida A and M. I think I think we're all looking forward to that matchup and and maybe a a good future matchup for the city of Tallahassee. I think. And, and yeah, Leonard Hamilton has been great joining us on Zoom in the off season. He's the stories are, are tremendous, and even when Zoom interviews are interrupted by phone calls. And the other day, he said it was a seven foot point guard, so he was definitely taking that phone call instead of talking to us on Zoom. Uh, and we understand seven foot point guards don't grow on trees, but um, he, he's been great. I, I think I think he's going to be a, a proud dad tonight, watching you know the, the NBA draft and seeing how this unfolds because he's going to have three really high, high character, um, high potential in terms of NBA draft prospects playing tonight or, or being drafted tonight. So it's going to be a fun, uh, fun experience, I think, for him and, and teammates and the coaching staff too. I was with Leonard on a Zoom call last week, and uh, you bring up the high character. That's the new buzzword for his recruit, uh, HCGR, high character gym rats. And he was literally in the Tucker Center, and practice was going on. And practice got a little heated, gentlemen. And there was a, a shout and a, a, an expression, an expletive that uh, came out. 
And all of a sudden you see Leonard freeze. And I thought it was a zoom freeze, but it was just him going, <laughs> did y'all hear that? <laughs> <laughs> he forgot to hit the mute button is what you're saying. Oh, I don't think he had a full warning about it. <laughs> I hear you, Bob. We appreciate it as always. Uh, we'll catch you over the weekend. Take care guys. Our Osceola insider, Bob Ferranti. They do a great job covering Florida State uh, and always appreciate his insight. Keith, you and I can take a break. We'll come back and wrap things up right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Black, Keith Jones with you. KJ, you know that uh, I think we do a pretty good job of trying to be pretty upbeat and positive on this show in general. Uh, we're, we're not typically the sky is falling, fire everybody, change everything. So I, I kind of go back to where we started. It, it's just, it just feels like when it rains, it pours. And right now, everything has been breaking the wrong way. That's a bad word to use in light of the collarbone injury for Purdy, I guess. But it's just going the wrong way for FSU. And at some point, it'll turn, and all you can do is muddle through. Well, and, and we had the conversation with Bob, and there's going to be that fraction of the Seminole faithful that uh, candidly are not really Seminole faithful. They're just whiners and complainers that are going to think that uh, none of this has a bearing on it. But uh, you can go back and look at what happened with the hurricanes uh, in, um, in uh, Jimbo's last year. Uh, you can go back and look at, uh, you know, what happened to Florida State when Devon Darling passed away. You can go all the way back to the early 80s, mid-80s, when Pablo Lopez uh, was uh, shot and killed on Landis Green. There are significant things that occur that affect sport, and in this case, the football team, that the head coach and the coaching staff has absolutely positively no control over. And at some point – it may appear to be raising the white flag. It may appear that you're giving in. You may appear to be lowering your standard. You don't do that, but you recognize that there are some things that are outside of your control. And what you do is you put your nose down and you grind and uh, you play the young kids and you let the, you let the record be whatever the record is. And you continue to work on the things that you can control. And that's all that Mike Norvell and his staff and this team can do, period, the end. I don't see the bowl game scenario, Keith. I mean, do you really see a way that the ACC or a bowl would go around the ACC's wishes on that? Uh, It depends on what the ACC's wishes are. You alluded to it earlier. There is a pecking order, and appropriately so. And there are certain times when a lesser ranked team or a team with one or two losses more can jump ahead of another team. You and I, it's above our pay grade. You might be able to figure out I can't. But if all of that is off the table, if you're going to say we're going to suspend that um, measurement for this year, then, yeah, I can see uh, you mentioned St. Petersburg or another uh, bowl game that is either in Florida or close to Florida that maybe, and this is a stretch, but maybe a month from now, 
you know, the, the decision is made that they can go to 50% capacity instead of just 25 or whatever's going on. And you've got a group of Florida State fans that haven't been able to get to Tallahassee or have only been able to attend one or two games, and they've been locked up, and it's plus or minus Christmas time or shortly thereafter, shortly before. There may be a bowl committee out there that says, you know, we know we can sell this thing out at whatever our capacity is. If we bring Florida State versus bringing NC State or Duke or whoever may have a significantly better one loss record. That is a huge stretch. Do I think the probability of that happening is great? No, but in light of everything else that's happened in 2020, that theory and that thought process would not surprise me. It just simply wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. I just don't see it getting there, but who knows? I mean, Stranger things, I guess, have happened. It is 2020. But the other thing is, though, that that St. Pete game, and I, I'm throwing that out there. I honestly don't even know if some bowls have canceled. I don't even know if that one has or not. True. That game is normally December 18th, plus or minus. And as of right now, the FSU has a game on December 5th. So you're not even going to get an extra 15 bowl practices for that. And we, we sort of have forgotten that, remember, fall camp did open two weeks early and they built in an extra bye week. So, in essence, you probably have gotten the extra 15 practices. It's just that compared to the teams you're aspiring to be who are going to get some additional incremental bowl practices, if you don't get a bowl opportunity, you're not going to have that luxury. Agreed. You know, and again, we could go down this rabbit hole, but my, my first thought to that was, well – you take the, the, the teams in the ACC, almost everyone but Florida State has had to shut down for a week and sometimes two weeks in Notre Dame's case. So while the schedule allowed them to have X number of days, the reality was they didn't get the days. So therefore, that can be used as an, a justification to, to broaden something. Who knows? Who knows? We're not in those conversations uh, you and I are not um, uh, kings or uh, presidents of the ACC. Uh, it'll be just interesting to see how it works. Here's what I do know. Florida State's going to have two lottery picks tonight, and it's going to be another hour at least before another ACC basketball player gets drafted and comes off the board at all. So I'm going to enjoy that. How about you, sir? Very much so. And, and, and I tell you, the biggest reason I'm going to do it, Tommy, and, uh, you know, listeners to this program know that uh, I won't be uh, broadcasting games uh, for basketball going forward. But I know these kids. I don't know them well. We're not, we're not best buddies or anything. But I've been around Patrick. Uh, I've been around for a year. I've been around Devin for, for two years. I've been around Trent for four years. These are good kids. Now, that doesn't mean that Jonathan Isaac wasn't and, and anybody prior to that wasn't. But I can tell you about these three kids. They're good kids. Uh, they'll, they'll get their degree. They'll leave without the degree, with the exception of Trent. He's got his. But Patrick Williams will come back and get his degree. And, and, and Devin Vassell will come back and get his degree. And they will be responsible citizens. They will be model NBA players. And uh, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, when they come back to Tallahassee and visit, uh, they will get standing ovations for the people that they are. And I, I hats off and I salute Leonard and his staff, um, Charlie and the academic side, uh, Amanda on the, on the training side, Bradley, uh, Michael Bradley on the strength and conditioning side. Everybody has bought in to, to the Hamilton way. 
In fact, I was talking with Stan Jones earlier, and he referred to it as the Hamilton bubble. Because while the basketball kids are allowed to come and go, Leonard has rules about where they can come and go. And, and he's created the Hamilton bubble, if you want to call it that. And the kids have bought into it, and they believe in it, and they do it. And so I will be excitedly watching uh, this evening. I hope Trent gets into that second round, and I'll be uh, jumping up and down for Patrick and Devin. Uh, quality group of kids. And by the way, Dominic, the other departing member, is already over in Europe playing, and Leonard told me he's averaging a double-double. There you go. Tonight will be the third straight year that Florida State's had two players drafted, and it'll become just the second time in school history that FSU's had two first-round picks. Uh, the other time was uh, 1993, Doug Edwards and Sam Cassell. So, and, and beyond that, I know I've said this a couple times, but when you think about Duke and Carolina and the ACC in basketball, for FSU to have the top two players from the league chosen tonight, and that's the way the projections go. I mean, I think Cole Anthony's projected like 20th or something like that, and somebody from Duke in that same range. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable tribute to Leonard and, his, and all the names you just mentioned, that that's what's going to happen tonight. Well, as our basketball-leaning fans have come to understand, uh, there's the Blue Bloods, which are the Dukes and the Carolinas and the Kentuckys and Kansas and UCLA's of the world. And then there's the new bloods of which Florida state is to the forefront. So we're going to be cheering for the new bloods and just respecting and, and understanding what the blue bloods have done in the past. Keith was fun. We'll do this again over the weekend and then next Wednesday until then, everybody, thanks for tuning in. He's KJ. I'm Tom. Talk to you next week on front row Knowles. Control.